Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. Amen. Let's all stand together. So good to be in church. So good to hear a buzz even before we start. Amen. You glad to be in church this morning? Yeah, it's so good to gather together to be able to worship and praise together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit and your presence that is here today. And our prayer collectively as the church of Jesus Christ is that you would fill this house with your glory, with your presence, with your spirit, Lord God. This time belongs to you. It's not our time, it's your time. We're your people. We've gathered above all else to meet with you. And so we invite you to just come and be part of this service, Lord God. Be glorified. Bind every work of the enemy. Every thought, every distraction, every fear, every doubt, Lord God, we come against it in Jesus' name. Let your spirit move. Let your name be glorified. Let your name be exalted. Let the word of God be preached with with boldness and without fear, Lord God. And let the Word speak deep into our lives and into our hearts. Let eternal destinies be changed because of what happens here today, Lord God. Father, we've come with a sense of faith. We've come with a sense of expectation. Father, we're looking forward, Father, to seeing what you will do amongst us today. And we will give you all the glory and all the honor that is due to your name. And this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's worship together. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles 29, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, just in case you were asking and wanting to know what his, her mother's name, his mother's name was. Daughter of Zechariah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as the father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on his side and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. Go down to verse 15 if you're following me. It's not going to be on the screen, but just go down to verse 15. It says, when they had assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. And they brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean that they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out into uh, the Kidron Valley. Um, They began the consecration on the first day of the first month. Let's pray together. And so, Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you that every word has meaning and significance, that your word is sacred, it's holy, it's anointed. And it has the power, Father, to change and transform our hearts. It has the power to speak deep into the deepest part of our lives, our spirit, Lord God. 
Father, let us never take your word lightly. So be glorified today, I pray, that even as I speak, Lord God, let it be your spirit that speaks through me. Let there be nothing in me that hinders your word. And I thank you that you will speak to us today. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Began a new series a couple of weeks ago entitled, Will You Not Revive Us? Again, title of the series comes from Psalm 85, Will You Not Revive Us Again, That Your People May Rejoice in You. It's the cry of the psalmist to God, and I believe it needs to be the cry of the church today. I believe it needs to be the cry of God's people today. Will you not revive us again? And the reason why we need to pray this is because the world is in moral decline. There's the secularization of society. There's the erosion of biblical values. There's a blatant rebellion against God. The Bible says this, we're going to do the complete opposite. It feels like evil is gaining momentum. As we, as we look at what's happening in the world today, it kind of feels like evil is gaining momentum. And the question that I ask myself as I'm reflecting on all of this is what's going to change the moral climate in our nation? What, what, what is going to change this, this, this momentum that is going in the opposite direction? As I thought about it, um, I, I, I just felt the only thing that's really going to change the moral decline in our nation is going to be a revival. Can I hear an amen somewhere? It's a revival. It's a move of God, an awakening, an outpouring of the Spirit, a supernatural visitation from God, the kind of visitation that we've read about in history where God has moved in a powerful way. Now, when we talk about revival... Uh, we have a particular picture that comes to mind. I wish we were just 10 of us or 12 of us in a room because I'd ask the question, when, when you hear the word revival, what comes into your mind? What kind of picture do you get into your mind of a church that's in revival? What kind of things would we expect to see if a church was in revival? Now, if we were able to chat today and talk to each other, um, most of us would say, I think if we, if we were in a season of revival, we would expect to see the miraculous because we've heard about some of the incredible miracles that have been done. I've heard stories of here in Adelaide under uh, the CRC Christian Revival Crusade there under Leo Harris. He's preaching a sermon as he's preaching. God is healing people in the congregation. And, and in, in one particular time, one of the people just started screaming because they couldn't see out of an eye. They weren't supposed to be able to see out of an eye, but suddenly they could. That's a church in revival. Can I hear an amen? People coming to Christ, drug addicts set free, just, just set free miraculously. People being filled with the Holy Spirit, convicted of sin, not condemned in sin, but this is conviction of the Spirit. No, I, I just got to turn and do, and do some other things. A supernatural sense of God's presence as we gather. There's some of the things we would think we would see if the church was in revival. But here's the thing. These signs or evidences are not the revival. The, these signs or evidences are not revival per se, they are the fruit of revival. They are the fruit of revival. They are the consequences of revival. Revival is a term that first and foremost applies to the church. The word revival means a restoration to life or consciousness. Revival is when something that is dead or stops breathing shows no signs of life suddenly starts to come back to life. You know, you've seen the movies where uh, they're, they're in um, 
you know, there's the machine and the, and the machine is going beep, you know, and then and then you get beep, you know, and you, I think they're going, they're going, you come, you've seen this in the movie, they're going beep, and then suddenly, you know, after two minutes you go beep, <laughs> beep, and, they, and, they, and they're coming back to life again. Revival, therefore, is when the church, which has lost its spiritual fervor, life, God forbid, starts coming back to life. A church which has plateaued spiritually, a church where we come and, 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 and we just go through the motions of church. We, we, we just go through whatever it is that we expect, but there's no life in the church. Suddenly starts coming back to life again. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be part of a church that is barely alive on life support, hanging on by a thread. Can I hear an amen? Come on, church. I thank God that this is not one of those churches. I thank God that there's a sense of God's presence every time we gather together. I thank God that there's a sense of, of, of God every time we begin to worship God, that there's a sense of expectation as the church gathers together. I want to be part of a church that is thriving and seeing the Spirit of God move in a powerful way. It's the kind of church we want to be a part of. Can I hear an amen? amen. I want to be part of a church that resembles the early church. As the book of Acts says, everyone was filled with awe. There was a, there was a sense of awe about the church of Jesus Christ and, and, and at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. At what God was doing amongst them, there was a sense of awe. I pray we would experience that. And so that kind of leads us to ask a question. Well, how can we experience a revival in our lives and in the life of the church? Well, as we look at history, there were some key elements in every revival. As we study history, the revivals of history, we find that there were always some key elements. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first one, which is prayer, a crying out to God. Rick Joyner said every revival in history seems to be the result of a few people becoming so hungry for God that they wanted Him more than oxygen. Those who have such hunger will not be denied. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Asa and, um, you know, Asa... Uh, uh, and, and the people of Israel, they make a covenant to cry out to God. And there was this weird, this weird verse in there that said, you know, people that didn't come to the prayer meeting were going to be put to death. And I thought, well, gee, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> How many people would be left alive if, did, you know, whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And so I, I, I just went away home and during the week just reflected on that verse. You know, there's no mistakes in God's word. Can I hear an Amen. Here, was, here were the people of Israel that were in a situation and they were desperate and prayer became a life and death matter. There was no plan B. There, there was no, well, if this doesn't work, we'll do something else. The only thing that was going to work was, a, was prayer, was a crying out to God. I, pr I pray that as a church, we would get to a place where we would get a revelation of the power of prayer and that we would say, hey, mate, it's, it's prayer or nothing. It's a matter of life and death. We're gathering together to cry out to God. Last week, Pastor Mario spoke about a return to the love for the Word of God. Today, I want to speak about another mark of all revivals, a return to holiness and consecration to God. Barry Chance says in his book on revival, a crucial and integral factor in revival is always an awareness of the true and dreadful nature of sin and a longing for holiness. We've been singing about that all morning. 
It's as we spend time in the presence of God, suddenly we become acutely aware of areas in our life that need changing, the sin in our lives. There's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, we talk about this a lot here in church. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation always brings us further away from God. It's the enemy who's saying, you're a sinner. That's condemnation. The conviction of the Holy Spirit always brings us into the presence of God. Conviction always points out the sin that's inside of our lives, but it's not this ugly thing. It's a, it's, it's a way of, of God saying, hey, come on, Joe, you could do better. And it brings us into the Holy Spirit. So as we begin to cry out to God, as we, as we begin to uh, 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 spend time in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit starts to convict us of the areas in our lives that need to change. Come on, Joe, you should st- you stop living with that person. Stop that behavior. You need to go and say sorry. You need to forgive them. In the Welsh revival that began with less than 20 people crying out to God for revival. Welsh revival began, began, Evan Roberts began with 20 people crying out to God for revival. In two years, 100,000 people gave their life to Christ. And notice what else happened, because this is the part that is exciting for me. Drunkenness was cut in half. Many of the taverns went bankrupt. Crime was diminished. The police became unemployed. Got no job for you to do, no cases for you to, to, to look out for. Coal mines stopped working because the ponies were no longer able to understand the cleaned up language of the owners. That's the effects of revival. And let me tell you, Evan Roberts' famous sermon, it wasn't Jesus loves you and he's got a plan for you. It's true that he does and he does love you. So I don't ever want you to get the wrong. That, that wasn't the signature sermon that kind of, you know, kind of ignited this revival. Do you, know, do you know the sermon that ignited this revival was? It was sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> Come back next week. That's the one I'm going to preach, all right? You know, be encouraged. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be really encouraged. That, that's, that's the sermon that ignited a revival because people suddenly became convicted of the areas in their lives that needed changing. And it wasn't an ugly thing. It was actually something that was very pure and, 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 and loving. And, and, and as people began to repent to God, to, to, to God then their lives started to, to change. And, and suddenly the rival, revival tour. As he's preaching, people are crying out in the pews, stop preaching because they thought they were going to sink into hell. Such was the power of God's presence. If we want to see a revival, we need to first of all cry out to God. And secondly, there needs to be a passion for holiness and for consecration to God. Joshua said to the people of Israel, he said, consecrate yourselves tomorrow. The Lord's going to do amazing things among you. It's a beautiful scripture. It's been speaking to me. I shared it back in December at a prayer meeting. Consecrate yourself, says Joshua, uh, 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 to the people of Israel. For tomorrow, God is going to do some amazing things among you. Now notice what he's saying. Joshua's saying, you consecrate yourselves today because tomorrow God is going to do something amazing amongst you. We want God to do amazing things amongst us. That's what we want to see. But God wants us to consecrate ourselves before him. And this brings us to ask a simple question, which is, well, then how? How do we actually do that? 
How do we consecrate ourselves before God? Well, to help us unpack this thought, I want to I look at another revival in the Old Testament. And it's the revival that took place under King Hezekiah. Last week we looked at King, uh, two weeks ago, King Asa. Today we're looking at King Hezekiah. But before we look at what Hezekiah did, it's really important to understand what was happening there in the nation. Hezekiah inherited the kingship from his father Ahaz. Bible says this about King Ahaz. In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. Gee, there's a great guy, isn't there? He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him, for he thought, well, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them, so they help me. I mean, there's the logic there. When things were going bad, instead of turning to God, he turns to the foreign gods, thinking, well, they've, they've helped the other nations, they're sure, surely they're going to help me as well. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. He's shutting the doors of the temple, the place of worship. And then he's setting up altars in every street corner. And in every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and provoke the Lord, the God of his father, to anger. It's the nation of Hezekiah. That's the nation Hezekiah inherits from his father, a nation that had turned away from God, worshipping other gods. The temple was shut. There was no worship. There was no fear of God. There was no devotion to God whatsoever. The nation had turned away from God. I, 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 we, we often think these are the worst times in history. No, they're not. History repeats itself again and again and again. There's one thing we learn from history, and that is we don't learn anything from history. And we just keep repeating it. It's this cycle that happens again and again and again. And Hezekiah was living in a time not unlike the times that we're living in today. And Hezekiah became king. And I just love this because, you know, this is not the end. You see, we can, we can have this mindset, this victim, oh, things are bad. And again, the government's bad and people are bad. And, and just have this victim mindset in our nation. We can have, we, as a church, we can, we can have this, this victim mentality and, and that just says, oh, let's just wait to the coming of the Lord. But Hezekiah, sees everything that's going on, seeing the moral decline, the spiritual decline in, the, in his nation, he becomes king and immediately he sets out to consecrate and remove uh, sin from Judah. He immediately, he starts to, to say, no, this is not going to be our destiny. Things are going to change. Immediately, he starts to take leadership and says, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna turn back to God. And he starts to do some things, the kind of things that we need to do. I believe if we want to experience revival in our lives, so how does consecration happen? How does it happen in our lives? There's just a few simple principles and then, then we're going to pray. First of all, consecration uh, involves purposing in our heart to serve God. Simple principle. But that's where consecration begins. Notice what the Bible says about Hezekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, Hezekiah became king at 25 years of age. And by this time, he'd already made up his mind. He would serve God. He would do what was right. He would seek to live a life that was pleasing to God. I just love this guy. He's 25 years of age. And at 25 years of age, he's made a decision. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to serve the purposes of God. And that's where consecration actually begins. It begins simply with a desire to serve the purposes of God. Hebrew word consecrate is the word kodesh, 
which means to set apart, to be holy, to behave, or to act holy. It's to set apart. Interestingly, the, the, the word for church in the, in the Greek is ecclesia, again, which means to set apart. The church is called to be different. Uh, that doesn't mean that we, you know, we kind of separate ourselves and, and you, know, you know, go on, you know, just an area where all the, all the Christians gather. We all live in one suburb, you know, and it's just, that's, that's not what this is saying. The Bible tells us where to live in the world, but not be of the world. There's a big difference to those two. Can I hear, can I hear an amen? We're called to be the salt and the light of the earth. We're not called to go and live in our own suburb like paradise or something like that, you know. That's an eastern suburb. I lived in paradise. And now I live on, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter, uh, <laughs> Chapel Street. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a thing. Anyway, uh, but we're not called to do that. We're called to make a difference in the world. The verb simply means to, the act of setting apart, withdrawing someone or something from profane or ordinary use. It's what we're called to do as the church. We're going to consecrate ourselves to God begins by saying, I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to live like everyone else. It's a decision to say, God, do something with my life. It means that we can, we can live in, 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 a, in a place that's just surrounded by profanity and, and anti-God sentiment and still live pure before the eyes of God. Notice how, how, how old Ezekiah was. He was 25 years old. Do I have any 25-year-olds here? Just, just give me a shit. Paul, stand up. Just stand up. Just stand up. Shouldn't have put your hand up, Paul. Come on, give, give Paul a hand. Come on. This is it's what 25 years old looks like. You can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> Paul, it's all down here from here. Downhill from here, mate. It's just gone. Listen, listen to this really. I want, you, I, want you, I, want you, I want us to see this. It wasn't a 35-year-old, 45-year-old, 55, 75-year-old with a lot of wisdom, you know, experience. It's a 25-year-old who becomes king and he just changes the, the climate of a nation. One of the phenomenon of revivals of the past is many began with young people. Young people who purposed in their heart to do what was right, began to pray, began to seek God. Winky Prattney writes in a book called Revival, it seemed to be a time of extraordinary dullness in religion. Licentiousness prevailed among the youth of the town. These church kids ignored their parents, walked the streets and partied all night. When two young people died unexpectedly, some of Edwards, uh, he was a revivalist preacher, began to get through. The young rebels of the town began to turn to Christ and he became the Jesus movement of his generation. Wendell Smith said this, out of the hippie culture that arose among American youth in 1967 came a second counterculture called the Jesus people. Baptized by the hundreds in the Pacific Ocean, they brought a strange and unique youth awakening to the streets of the nation. Many of the young people converted in this move of God are now leaders in today's churches. Most of the Calvary Chapel churches are, that grew under Chuck Smith uh, grew out of the hippie culture, the Jesus movement, where, where hundreds and thousands of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. It was a massive revival that, that swept through the U.S. Billy Graham said, if a group of students gave themselves wholly to Christ and began living for Christ, no, no matter the cost, you can change 
your generation. What a powerful quote. And people, I want to challenge you. Young people here today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be a modern day Hezekiah. Don't say you're too young. Make a decision to serve God. Make a decision to to be set apart, to be different for the sake of Jesus Christ. Make a decision to be Hezekiah. Make make a decision not to be a thermometer, someone that can tell the, the temperature in our society. Make a decision to be a thermostat that changes the spiritual temperature in our society. Notice the Bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. It doesn't say that he followed after his father Ahaz. He followed after his father David. It's really important that we understand that our physical heritage does not have to determine our spiritual future. So often we make excuses for why we can't be used by God. Well, my parents weren't Christians. My upbringing was messed up. My genes are flawed. Well, get a new pair of jeans in the name of Jesus. Come on. Oh, mine have got a rip in it. Listen, they're worth thousands of dollars if they got special rips in them. The more dirty the sand shoes, the more expensive they are. The more rips in the jeans, the more expensive they are. Can I hear an amen? It's a crazy generation. God bless them. (laughs) Hezekiah could have been a victim of the past. It's, it's an amazing, this is an amazing scripture. For, all, for those of you that are saying, well, I'll never amount to anything because of my past, my upbringing. This is a powerful scripture that you need to get a hold of. Uh, Hezekiah uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Hezekiah could have just been a victim of his past. He said, he says, I'm going to do what's right. I don't care what the cost is. He identified David as a man of God. And he said, I'm going I'm I'm to follow after David. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to do exactly what David did. I don't care what my family's going to say. I'm going to please God. Man, that's powerful. I don't care what my friends are going to say. I don't care what my family is going to say. I don't care what those closest to me are going to say. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to worship God. And you know, uh, we, we are called as Christians to serve God. But you know, there are, there are godly people within the context of the church. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there are godly, you know, we, we, we have our natural fathers, but we can also have spiritual fathers. People that can speak a word into our lives. People that can, that can, that can, can, that can, can speak wisdom into our lives. That will help us to be everything that God has called us to be. I thank God for my parents. They were amazing. I, I thank God for the spiritual heritage that I, that I grew up with. And I thank God. I don't never want to take that for granted. Because I, I just thank God for it. I, I, you've heard me say so many times. I, I thank God I had a dad that, 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 you know, my bedroom was next door to him. And uh, he used to get up, at, you know, when, when we had, you know, a prayer emphasis in the church. He used to go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning. I used to hear him at 5 o'clock in the morning praying from my bedroom. He used to wake me up. How inconsiderate. Pray softly. He's loud, you know, just, just praying to God. And we wake up. You wake up hearing a prayer. You don't forget those things. They're the things that mark us. God wants to use you. But like the Hezekiah, you need to decide. Follow after God. 
I thank God for my parents. I thank God for the spiritual heritage. But I also thank God for the spiritual fathers of the house of God. Spiritual fathers that have spoken words into my life. That at crossroads when I could have gone left or right. Where I could have done the wrong thing. And I, and I, and I went and got advice. And, I, and, and said, what do you think I should do? And, and, and the wisdom that was given helped to direct my life. Thank God for the spiritual fathers that have preached in this house. Preach the word of God, unashamedly preach the word of God. Didn't try and tickle our ears so that we would hear just what we wanted to hear, but we're unashamed, unashamedly preach the word of God. We're not afraid to do so and challenge us to serve God. I thank God for the spiritual fathers of the house. One of the problems with our generation, the Bible says this, is we have many teachers but few fathers and mothers. We have an ear to hear teachers, but we don't want a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. A spiritual father or a mother that's going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> a spiritual father and a mother that is going to always encourage us to do what is right, that when we're on the right track, they're going to say to us, you're amazing, you're doing so well, keep up the great work. But when we're on the wrong track, they're going to have the courage to say to us, what are you doing playing with matches? What are you doing playing on the road? What are you doing playing with fire? There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, he who despises his mother or father, I forget which, which one it is exactly, says, the ravens will pluck your eyes out. Now there's a great scripture for your fridge. Come on, man, put that one there on your fridge. What does it mean? It means when we despise the authority figures in our life, the spiritual authority figures that God has placed in our life, the raven speaks about demons and the work of the enemy. We'll pluck our eyes out so that we can no longer see where we're going. There's a word for it. It's called deception. Couldn't you see what was going to happen? Couldn't see it. Can't you see what's going to, where this is going to end up? Couldn't see it. Why? Because rebellion has caused us to go blind spiritually. Everybody say, wow. I didn't mean to be this tough this morning. <laughs> Praise God. Isn't God good? His word is real. I love, I love the scripture about Hezekiah because he says there was something in his heart, A, to do what was right, to please God, to worship God. And he followed after his father, David. Powerful scripture, powerful principle. If we want to if we, if we, if we, if we experience consecration in our lives, it just begins with seeking after God. That's probably enough. I don't probably have to say anything else. We could just leave it right here because that's where it, that's where it all begins. It just begins in the present. God, I just want to serve you. I want to seek after you. But secondly, consecration also involves removing that which dishonors God. We need to remove from our lives that which displeases God, dishonors God. As you look at Hezekiah, there were a number of things he did. He brought together the Levites and the priests and he said to them, remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Get rid of it. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. If we want to consecrate ourselves to God, there are some things we need to do. We need to remove and repent of things that are, that are not of God. Peter said to the crowd that had gathered to hear the very first sermon. What was the message of the very first sermon? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
It's repent. That's the, there, there was the message. He speaks about Jesus. He speaks about why Jesus came. And then he says, repent and be baptized. To repent means to change how you think about a matter. Often we say repentance is about, you know, it's a 180 degree turn. I was going in this direction and now I'm going in this direction. Absolutely. But actual repentance is a change of mind about a certain matter. And if we change the way we think, it will always change the way we behave. Over and over again, whenever the gospel was preached, there was a call to repentance. In Ephesus, when the people responded to the gospel, the Bible says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery uh, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Some say around $7 million worth. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I still remember the camps when we had some revival camps in the name of Jesus, powerful camps, and, you know, people would come and they were convicted, and then the week after we'd have testimony time, and sometimes people would bring their stuff at home that they, that they knew that wasn't, wasn't godly, and they'd bring it there, and then kind of, at times we've done a bit of a fire and burned it off. It's just powerful, very symbolic, but very important. Tosa said this, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? And a little revival has resulted. I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. If we want to see a move of God, we need to come to Christ with a repentant heart. That means we examine our hearts, our attitudes, our behaviors, our lives. And where we're doing things that are not pleasing to God, we repent. We pray, search me, O God, and know my It's a beautiful prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way of a lust. You know the word holiness. I mean, we, we've turned it into a bad word. But holiness is, actually speaks about wholeness. Wholeness. Who doesn't want wholeness? People a lot of times spend a lot of money in counseling, which is very good, by the way. I'm more for counseling because we're, we, we want to be whole. There's brokenness inside. I want to be whole. Holy, as we pursue holiness, we experience wholeness. Wholeness. And so we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Back in the old days, we were very clear about what it meant to be holy. You, don't smoke, you didn't smoke or drink or chew or run with people who do. Some churches had rules. Uh, these are the 20 rules of what it means to be holy. And so, well, if you do these things, then you're holy. But what we realize is that people can follow all the rules and still be as worldly as ever. Can I hear an amen? The Pharisees followed all the rules. They set up 300,000, no, not 300,000, but 300 or 1,000 rules. They had thousands of rules. Follow these rules, you'll be holy. And Jesus said, man, you guys are as far away from God as ever. Because holiness is first and foremost a matter of the heart. It's where it begins. When we consecrate ourselves to God, when we spend time with God, when we begin to pray, oh God, do something with my life. I want to get closer to you. I want to, I want to know you. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us about what needs to change. It's the testimony of my life. When I was 15, 16, 17, 
you know, I just heard preaching. That's all. I just come to church week in and week out. I heard the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word that says you've been created for a purpose. You're not here by accident. God wants to do something with your life. You need to seek after. I began to seek after God. I just began to cry out to God. I said, okay, God, if you've got a plan for my life, I want to know what that's all about. Do something with my life. As I began to get closer to God, as I began to pray those kind of prayers, it's a, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's an offensive way and tell me all about it, Lord God. It's a dangerous prayer to pray because it's the kind of prayer that God answers. As I began to seek after God and cry out to God, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit start to speak to me. Come on, Joe, we don't speak like that. We don't react like that. We don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. It's the, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that just begins to say, we, 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 you can be better. You can be better. I could tell you some of the stories, but, you know, it's not going to be great for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you told me told the story about the time when, when uh, a little bit of an anger issue back then. Can you imagine me angry? Oh, God. <laughs> there was a yes in the congregation. Jesus, help us. You're not on staff, uh, yeah? No, you're not. So the staff are going, yes, yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I was 15, so I just got my license. I told you the story, but it's fun anyway. And I'm driving along, and we're driving to the charismatic convection to hear from God and experience the presence of God. Car cuts me off. You know, we're driving there, and I'm driving in, and they're driving in too. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says... Maybe there's another way to respond, Joe. That wasn't really smart, was it? You know, no, the Holy Spirit was a lot kinder. But, but it's the Holy Spirit that starts, come on, we can do better than this. It's not a way to deal with issues, Joe. It's a different way to deal with issues. Be kind and compassionate, generous. I'm very kind and compassionate and generous on the, on the roads most times. Um, but the Holy Spirit starts to convict. That's what happened. That's what happened in my life. Don't do this. Do this. How, that's how consecration happens. I wonder if there's some things in our lives that we need to remove. And there's some areas in our life where we have compromised and, there, and there's some behaviors and attitudes and convictions. See, when the Holy Spirit speaks, we have only one of two choices. We either obey or disobey. Every time we disobey, it becomes harder and harder to obey. It's as we obey, we experience more of the presence of God, more of the grace of God. As we disobey, it becomes harder and harder to hear the voice of the Spirit. Thirdly, consecration involves doing that which honors God, that which pleases God. Consecration to God is not just about what we don't do. It's more about what we do do. And notice what the text says. In the, first month, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Right at the beginning, he reestablishes worship. He reopens the doors of the temple, calls the priests together and the Levites, and they consecrated themselves to God. He purifies the temple. And then they began to offer sacrifices unto God the way he, that God had prescribed it. Hezekiah gave the order for the burnt offerings, it was all about worship. It was all about prayer. And as the offering began, singing to the Lord also began, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of, uh, of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship. It's powerful. The whole assembly, as, as they were doing it, they bowed in worship unto God while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. 
Consecration to God is not just about what we don't do. It's about what we do do. And chief among the things that we do is we worship. We begin to worship God. We praise God. We express our love for God. Pour out our hearts to God. Draw nearer to God. We express our devotion to God. Oh, God, I love you. Just want to please you. Want to serve you. We say things like give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 89, who is like you, O Lord God Almighty? Who's like you, God? There's no one like you, O God. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall always be on my lips. One of the first things he does is he begins to worship the Lord. Interesting thing, because the nation was in turmoil, turmoil politically, economically, but he doesn't deal with any of that. First thing he does, he addresses the spiritual condition in the nation. And that's a profound principle because if we want to get our lives back on track, we just need to deal with the spiritual. People say, if I had a better job, better marriage, more money, less problems, then I could serve God. Our problems are first and foremost spiritual, and they will be addressed in the presence of God. And the the number thing we need to do is reestablish worship. Pharisee comes to Jesus, says, out of all the commandments, which one is the most important? One of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is that? That's worship. We need to reestablish worship. There are things we don't do. There are things we do do. What do we do? One of the things we do is we worship God because that's where it all begins. That's where God does some of his greatest work in our lives. God said to the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow are going to do some amazing things amongst us. How do we do that? In reality, we can't actually consecrate ourselves. It's only God that can do that. But what we can do is position our hearts for God to speak, to move, and to challenge us. And a good place to start is to pray the prayers I gave you five, two weeks ago. It's five prayers. I've written them down in your notes again. These are consecration prayers. And they give God an opportunity to begin to speak into our lives. It's, it's us giving God permission to speak into our lives. And saying, free me from distraction and clutter. Is there distraction in my life, Lord God, that I can't see? Would you help me to see it? Forgive me of self-will. Pride is going to destroy us. Forgive me of that, Lord God. I want to do your will above all else. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my will be done. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Release me from idolatry. Help me to see the idols. Help me to see the, open my eyes to see the idols. Open my ears and eyes so I can hear your voice again. Draw me to yourself so that I may know you. For the Father loves the Son and shows him. All he does will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. As we begin to pray, as we begin to worship, As we begin to seek after God, as we cry out to God, then God's going to begin to speak to us. And he's going to begin to say one of two things. Do less of this. Do more of this. Take this out. Bring this in. And as we obey those promptings, we're going to experience the power of God in our lives. Would you stand with me? Worship team, come. And chief among the things that we do is we worship. I think worship is one of the great litmus tests of where we're at spiritually. 
You know, we can think that we are at a certain level, but really be somewhere else. Well, how can we know? One of the ways we can know is by our worship. Do I love the worship? Do I love to worship God? Do, do I love the worship? Can't wait to come to church and worship. Do I lift my hands to worship? I, I, I know for some people that's hard. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting there. Don't worry. I'm not, it's not specifically the hands. But, you know, do I just love to worship? We, we began to sing holy, holy. My hands went up straight away. Do we love to worship God? Because our worship is an indication of our relationship with God. Do we worship? I just wonder, is there something that is blocking your worship? Has your worship dried up? Are there hurts in your life? Deep-seated wounds? Maybe disappointment even with God? Or maybe you've become busy and distracted. You know, you, I've got time for worship. When you're driving in the car and you can put some music on, which, which music do you put on? Where's your heart drawn? What kind of music are you drawn to? Is it worship? I just can't wait to worship the Lord. Maybe, maybe we become so busy and distracted that the, the doors of the temple in our heart have been closed. And Jesus is saying, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I'm going to come in and eat with them. And Jesus is saying, I want to spend time with you. I love you. I love you. It's Christ seeking you and me, saying, I love you. I want to do something with your life. It's time to reopen the doors of our heart and begin to worship. Begin to seek God. Pastor Joe, how can we, get, how can we experience a revival? If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, then, if then, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. My prayer is, I've been praying all week. One prayer. I've been praying all week. One prayer. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Just draw us to yourself. I feel like sometimes I, the, the picture I had in my mind is, um, and, you know, and you guys are all listening, so it's all great. But I, the picture I had in my mind is like Christ is, 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 draw, is saying, just come. I've got so much for you. Just come. And we're like in a corner, you know, busy on our phone doing something. He's speaking, but we're on our phone doing something. Some of us are in another corner. We're lighting candles to an idol, you know, <laughs> while Jesus is speaking. And I've been praying. Father, would you, would you draw us, draw us to you. Give us a picture of what this would look like. Because I believe God has got amazing things in store for his church. Because God's desire is not that the church should be on the back foot, limping, dead. Beep. That's not the desire. God's, God's, God, the church God is thinking about is a church that's alive, <laughs> doing amazing things for God. We're going to sing this chorus, and I want us to just worship for a moment before we close. Thank you.